Our reading this morning um, is taken from two places. Um, firstly, in Matthew 22, um, from verse 34. And if you also want to flip ahead to get ready for John 15, we'll be reading from there also. Um, but firstly, Matthew 22, starting in verses 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the, in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the, the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And then flicking over to John 15 from 1 to 11. The words of Jesus here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. So we've uh, finished Ecclesiastes, and um, as I had said before, we looked at the series and uh, as we looked at this series, we realized uh, the life under the sun, the phrase that they use to kind of describe disconnected from God, is a life really full of hevel, this Hebrew word meaning it's kind of meaningless, it's vanity, it's fleeting, it's enigmatic, it's, uh, it's hard to kind of grasp. Um, and we just had this kind of realistic look just down the barrel of the gun of life uh, of what the world really actually is like disconnected from God. And yet, the teacher reminded us and gave us some instruction and hope even in the midst of that, um, and for us that are Christians having a different perspective of that, that we're really to enjoy life, that life is a gift for God, that we're to be present in the moment, uh, we're to remember our creator um, within that. And so we, uh, as I've mentioned before, what, what's next, what we want to look at um, starting uh, the week after next is really just to, to re-examine our village values, uh, to get together as a family, 
before we send 30 or 40 of you out uh, to plant Village South, uh, just to be reminded from looking from the scripture again, what God has called us or what we feel like God has called us particularly to here as a local church. And from there, we're going to move into the Sermon on the Mount, um, some of Jesus's most seminal teaching, um, which is highly practical within that. So what I want to do today and what uh, John will continue next week is to really start to set a framework for us as we think through our values, as we move into the Sermon on the Mount, um, how to locate some of the things that we'll look at um, in our personal lives. Um, Today, it'll be more personal and individual focused. um, And next week, John will look at it more communally with us. And so the word that I want us to think about today is the word that appeared over and over again in the text from um, John 15, this word, abide. The word to abide. Uh, we started off in the text with Matthew 22, um, this great commandment. These, the uh, Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. The Sadducees, Jesus is already silenced. And so the Pharisees are going to give it their shot now. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to, there was 614 different commands uh, that the Pharisees were trying to keep at the time. And there was a lot of discussion over which one is the most important, which one You know, they thought they all should be obeyed, but surely some of these are kind of weighted. And so if Jesus, whatever Jesus says, he's going to lose part of the crowd. Um, So they're they're setting him up here. Um, And Jesus' response is really to uh, what he always does, transcends whatever they're trying to get him to do. And he just cuts right down to to the core of the matter. And he says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So this is what Jesus says. We're to love God basically with all of your being, your mind, your soul, your strength. Um, And yet that word love we throw around quite a bit, right? I love pizza. I love football. I love my wife, love my kids, but surely those aren't all to the same degree, right? I mean, pizza is surely before the kids. Um, So we just have this kind of generic word, love. We just love everything, right? It's like awesome. Everything's awesome. If everything's awesome, not anything's awesome. And if we love everything in the same kind of way, it's not the same. John Piper has a definition for loving God that I think is helpful. He says, love for God is delighting in him and a desire to know him and be with him. Pretty simple, right? And if you think about that in your human relationships, that's a pretty good description of love as well. Delighting in someone, desiring to know them, and you want to be with them. You want to be in their presence. You want to spend time with them, which is exactly what Jesus talks about in John. Right? The word that he uses for love, uh, if we're defining it the same way, is to abide. To abide. To be present with. To spend time with. To delight in. Look at all of the different things that he says. If we'll abide with Jesus, if we'll abide with Christ, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. He will prune us. He says that for abiding with Christ, you're already clean. So abiding isn't about trying to clean yourself up. He says that's already done. You're already clean. 
He says, if we're not abiding with Christ, you can literally do nothing. The fruit that you're expected to bear as a Christian is impossible to bear unless you are abiding with Christ, unless you're attached to the vine. It says if we're abiding with him, his words, literally his, the scripture, uh, the words that the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance, abide in us. He says if we're abiding with him, ask and he'll give it to us. So our desires, our desired outcome in our life is aligning with him. We have uh, alignment with that. If we're abiding with him, it says that we will glorify the Father in that. Our abiding is the way that we actually prove that you're a disciple of Jesus, right? Which means that then there are false disciples that are out there. Jesus will say this, depart from me. I don't know who you are. I know you've gone through. I know you're, you're trying to look like a disciple, but you're not. But he says, how do you prove that you're a disciple? By abiding with me, that's what the text says. If we abide with him, he loves us. We keep his commands. And it culminates in our joy being full. Jesus is after your joy as we abide with him. And he says not abiding then, to not actually abide with Christ, he gives this agricultural, um, uh, to the vines, the branches are cut off from the vine. And when they're cut off, they're useless. They don't bear fruit. They don't grow. They're dead. They wither up. They die. And they just gather them all up. They bundle them all up. And they're, they're firewood at this point. They're cut off. And so the question that is a really simple question for us this morning is, are you abiding? Are you abiding? And if so, how? What does abiding look like for you? Now, there's, we're, again, there's a, when we're talking about abiding in Christ, you're either attached to the vine or you're not. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. So this is what we would call our positional relationship with Jesus, right? So this has nothing to do with how good we are. This is all to do with what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, right? So this is his grace freely poured out on us, our receiving and accepting that grace, our turning from sin uh, within that. So positionally, once you're a Christian, the Bible says no one can snatch you out of God's hand. That doesn't change. So you either are or you're not. But relationally, you know, um, there's a difference there, isn't there? So I'm married. Nothing will change that unless we went through some kind of divorce proceedings, right? So all, all I have to do to remain married is do nothing. I can be as passive as I want to be, and I'll still remain married. But you know, my marriage wouldn't be a very happy marriage if that was the case, right? There's an abiding that has to take place. There's an investment. There's spending time. There's getting to know each other. There's communication. There's going out on dates. There's investing in our relationship together. Those things are different. That's one is active. It's, a, it's an active part of being in a marriage. And so this is what I want us to ask today. What does abiding look for you? Are you abiding? And if so, how? In what ways are you delighting in him? In what ways are you pursuing life in Christ? Um, flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because I want us to start to give us a little framework because we're going to work through our values. We're going to go into the Sermon on the Mount. There's going to be lots of practical, this is what it looks like to practice the way of Jesus. And I want to give us a framework um, as we start to move into a lot of those things. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. He says this. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And what he's going to describe here is 
what we call sanctification, us becoming more like Jesus by abiding in him. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, right? This is what happens when you become a Christian. Um, Saul of Tarsus is on his way to Damascus persecuting Christians. Jesus shows up, literally lifts the veil from his face, allows him to see who Jesus is. And in that moment, he's converted. And we all then with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. So as we behold Jesus, we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. So it doesn't happen all at once, right? We are being transformed. We are being changed from one degree to the next. And that is so encouraging and yet so frustrating. Um, do you remember the movie The Matrix? Man, I love that movie. But I wish life were like that. I wish you could just like download how to fly a helicopter and then all of a sudden you're like an expert uh, helicopter pilot. I, I just wish that's the way the Christian life was. I wish I had this struggle with this sin and I could just download that and now I don't have that struggle anymore. Now I just walk in perfect righteousness. Um, but that's not the way it is. We're being transformed one degree of glory to the next. Now, what does he say at the very end? For this comes from who? The Lord, his spirit. So it's the Lord who changes us from one degree of glory to the next. Our job is the beholding. Our job is actually looking at, being with, abiding with Jesus. And that, in turn, changes us into being more like him. So that's the framework I want to help us set out this morning is, what does that look like for you? What does beholding look like for you? Um, and here's, here's what I would say to us this morning. Beholding is not our natural inclination as human beings. Who do you want to look at more than anybody else? Yourself, right? right? We've come up with a word for that. Like so we are the selfie kind of generation, right? We, as all human beings across time and space, that's not new to millennials, are inward selfish human beings. We are mostly concerned about us. And so our natural inclination, our default mode of the human heart is to look after me. And um, if serving other people um, has a side benefit that comes back to me, then, then great. But this isn't spiritual formation. Spiritual formation um, is different than that. And, and in some ways, spiritual formation isn't necessarily a Christian thing. So when you think of spiritual formation, I don't know what you think about when you hear that. I asked my MC. What do you think of when you hear that word, uh, that phrase? And there was mixed reactions in that. Um, but basically, we are all being formed spiritually, whether you're a Christian or not. That's a human thing, right? We are all being shaped. We are all being disciples of something or someone. Something is forming you as a person. The question isn't, is that happening? The question is, how is that happening? And, and whom is shaping you. Who is shaping you? Doesn't matter. So um, can we have the first slide um, on the screen? This is uh, uh, very helpful. Some of this is from John Mark Comer who talks a little bit about some of these things. I, th I thought this was a very helpful um, slide to think about. This is unintentional spiritual formation. This is what's happening to every single person on the planet, whether they know it or not. So this is happening to you whether you know it or not. You're being formed spiritually unintentionally. 
Um, and that's the environment that you live in, so the culture that you live in, um, the type of class that you probably live in, um, the, the city, the part of the city you live in, the time and space that uh, we inhabit, um, the stories that we believe, the relationships that you have, and the habits that you have. Um, all of these things are forming us. What are the stories that you believe, the narratives that you believe, right? And we are being um, told stories day in and day out. Companies are literally spending millions and millions to tell you stories, and they want you to believe those stories for their purposes. Um, and that's not a moral judgment. That just is what it is. Um, you have your relationships, right? Your friends, your family, the people that are in your life, colleagues, coworkers, um, are forming you and shaping you whether you know it or not. And then we have our habits. Um, what are your habits in life? Entertainment habits, physical habits, eating habits, sleeping habits, like whatever your kind of habits are in your life, um, all of these things are shaping and forming you. And so the question is, is who are you becoming? Or who have you become? And so maybe it would be good just even sit down and think about, which I would encourage you to do, um, just to examine your, your week. That's what Tom said even this morning, examine your week. Do a habit audit, if you will. Connect the dots to what's going on in your heart um, between what's going on in your life, these kind of habits. And um, I think we'll find that there's probably some habits that need to be replaced, habits that lead our heart away from spiritual habits, uh, lead us away from spiritual formation. They lead us away from being shaped and formed into the person of Jesus. And they lead us into being shaped and formed like other things. Um, and so what are those things? Whatever we do to be formed by Jesus has to be stronger than those other things. My, um, for a lot of my life, I probably just didn't think much about that. It just was happening unawares of my life. And so you just kind of go through your life, and we go to church on a Sunday for maybe an hour, you hear a teach, maybe you're in a small group, but then all these other habits the hours of television or music or the friends that you're with or whatever. And I'm, again, those aren't moral judgments. Those aren't necessarily bad things. Uh, they might be, but they might not be. Um, but whatever they are, are forming you. And so our habits to be formed into the way of Jesus have to be stronger than these other things. Now, um, John Mark makes a very good um, per perception, and I want us to think about this as well. Because when we think about how we're formed, depending on the tradition that you're from, um, Christian tradition that you're from, you might approach that different ways, right? So if you're from a more non-charismatic kind of stream, um, maybe, you know, where the Bible being taught is very important, um, so, the, uh, you know, systematic Bible teaching um, is, is the way that we are kind of formed, right? Through the pulpit, through our Bible reading, heavy emphasis on, on a habit of Bible reading um, within that. And those are great. That's good. Those aren't wrong things. But Jesus himself would tell the Pharisees that Bible teaching alone will not transform you. So he says, you search the scriptures, but you don't find life in them. Um, mainly because they were doing it the wrong way. Right? So we can have a hyper uh, rational kind of form of enlightenment that shapes uh, the way that we approach kind of pulpit, pulpit um, ministry. And listen, we take the Bible very seriously here. If you've been around, you know that, right? We teach through the Bible. We think it's, we think it's important. 
It's the authority of all of life. But knowing something and doing something are not the same thing. And my fear is that churches that are Bible um, churches, which we are, can feed our mind and our head, and we can go out knowing a lot of stuff, but actually don't end up doing anything. Um, and so you can know your, your knowledge of, of, of the scripture, your knowledge of doctrine and theology, your, your, your knowledge of Jesus can grow exponentially. But we're these giant bobbleheads, these big, fat-headed, like, brainy people um, that haven't put any of that into practice. Now, the other side of that then might be from the more charismatic stream. Some of you are, are from that, right? And, and this is, you, the, the danger there is, is that you don't have to do anything. It's all on God. Now, again, we just said that. Like, that's what the scripture just said. So there's truth in that. These are two half-truths, if you will. Um, the charismatic stream, just, it's your encounter with God that transforms you, right? So we chase after this encounter with the presence of God. We go after these miracles, whatever it is. We want, we want this, some kind of encounter with, with God. And that's the thing that will change you. Um, but it was pointed out, and I think this is so true. Encounter moments, they happen we want them to happen. We ask them to happen. We seek those things, right? We believe in the gifts. Are usually about healing. They're not usually about maturity. They're usually to meet a need in your life. They're not usually about maturing you into uh, a deeper version of, of, uh, of yourself in Christ. So neither of these two things alone get us to a real kind of spiritual formation or transformation. Um, it's our desired village to be both of those things and to bring both of those things together. We want to look to the scripture as our ultimate authority. We want to teach through that. We believe it's the living word of God breathed out for us. But we also want to encounter the presence of God in our life. We want um, him to, to show up in, in real ways. We want the Holy Spirit to be active in our life. So this is maybe what um, intentional spiritual formation would look like, a maybe more holistic kind of way. The Holy Spirit is, is right at the center now. It's not our environment that we're in. It's us relying on the Holy Spirit. It's him illuminating the scripture as we're reading it, as we're hearing it being taught. Um, there is teaching, and so the Bible and being taught the scripture is important. That's not just limited to what happens here on a Sunday, by the way. Um, that hap Bible teaching happens in our MCs. It happens in other environments, academy, and other things that we want to continue to look at and develop um, throughout the year. Um, it happens in community. Well, so notice the teaching versus the stories that we believe, right? So the, our world is trying to tell us stories so that you will believe certain things, so that you will act a certain way in the world. Usually that means spending money in the way that they want you to spend it. Versus being actually taught from the Holy Spirit what God actually has to say for us. And some of those are going to be counterintuitive. Some of those are going to be countercultural. We have community. That's different than just relationships, right? Relationships. Relation, your relationships are usually self-selected, right? Your, your friends are self-selected friends. The people that you choose to spend time with are, are, are that. But community is different. Um, when Butler, the lead singer of, of Arcade Fire, was asked, he grew up in church, I think his dad was a minister, and he said the one thing that he missed the most about church was being in community with people that he didn't choose to be with. Like being put into a community that you didn't 
I didn't choose these people. God brought us together, and there's something in that, in community of people that you didn't necessarily self-select um, that does something very different in our life. And then this idea of practices versus habits. Habits has this kind of notion, they just kind of happen unawares. They're not intentional. But practicing is something that's very intentional, isn't it? Um, if you're an athlete, you practice, and you practice the way that you want to play. And it's the same, right? The, throughout the, the New Testament, Paul is constantly talking about an athlete. He's this metaphor of a Christian running a race or training. Um, that we, we train, we put into practice certain things that actually train us into godliness. And so there's an intentional spiritual formation that takes place. Jesus, as we'll see as we get into the sermon, Jesus kind of bookends the Sermon on the Mount by commanding us to practice it. Um, it was also the last thing that he told his disciples, right? Do you remember? He gives them the Great Commission, going to all the world, teaching them to obey, to put into practice literally all that I've commanded you. So your job as a disciple maker isn't just to kind of win people to Jesus. It's, no, it's to disciple them in the way of Jesus, into the practice of Jesus. And so there's a difference here between trying and training. Um, training has a, a bit of a, a, a it's, it's like an athlete. It's a, it's a metaphor an athlete. He's got a schedule. He's got a plan. There's a certain kind of things that he will do to practice to, to gain a certain result. So there'd be a difference between trying to run a marathon and training to run a marathon. If I just went out and tried to run a marathon, I'm telling you right now how that would end. <laughs> and it wouldn't be me crossing the finish line unless it was on a stretcher or something. But training to, to run a marathon is different. You have a schedule. You're going to eat a certain way. You're going to run a certain amount of miles, and then you're going to stop, and then you're going to run a certain amount of more. There's a whole regimen that you're trying to do. So we become formed by training hard, not trying hard. Again, there's a difference between trying and training in the Scripture. We're not trying to earn God's approval. We're training out of the approval that we already have in Christ. We're already in Christ, right? When we're abiding, he, he tells the disciples, you're already clean. This isn't about cleaning you up. This isn't about cleanliness. This is about you abiding in me and becoming fruit bearers. And so what are these kind of practices then? Um, they're essentially these spiritual disciplines, Right? These spiritual disciplines we have. And again, this is, today is much more kind of centered on us as an individual. But I don't want us to lose sight of all of this happens, us as individuals putting these practices, these spiritual disciplines in, in, into our life in the context of a community. Most of the you commands in the, in the New Testament are in the plural in the Greek. So they're commands to you, you the church, you the community of God's people. Um, and the thing about community is it exposes you but it exposes you in the best kind of ways, right? It exposes you. It's, it's like training alongside someone else on a team. Um, I used to coach uh, high school football when I lived in America. Um, I loved it. It's the one thing that I really I miss about living in, in the States. Everything else, not so much. Um, but I, I miss that because you're training out there with, um, you know, 60, 60 men, young men, um, they're out there. And in the team, you get exposed. Like, the, your weaknesses of what you're good and not good at are, are there for everybody to see. But that's the point. We do that in practice. 
so that you can improve those things. Those things can be identified. You have other people in the community, coaches, other players, can help you with techniques. They can help you get better at those things so that on game day, those things aren't as exposed. So quickly then, I want to get super practical here as we um, kind of draw this to, to a close. I want us to set, set, not just set up today, um, and today I, I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. I, I, want you to be, I want you to think about beginning this kind of journey, um, a beginning setting out a framework of what this might look like that you would continue to visit over the next six months as we move through these two series. Um, these kind of practices, these spiritual disciplines um, are what John Calvin called a rule of life or a common rule, or you could say a set of habits. How will I organize my life intentionally so that it will bear the fruit that I want it to bear or the fruit that um, it can bear in Christ? So what, are, what will, what will the, these things look like? Um, can you go to the slide that is um, just a blank um, graph? It doesn't have anything filled in on it? Yes, brilliant. So this is one way that you might think about your life. Um, I've just started down this path, so I don't have all this like completely nailed, nailed down yet. Um, if you're married, this isn't probably just you. Um, you're, you probably need to have conversations because your life isn't just your own, as you know. Um, but thinking about these kind of categories of your life, spiritually, you can think about your time, relationally, the other people in your life um, who you trust, physically, um, your physical body. We are embodied physical people. Um, so that includes, our spirituality includes the physical. We're not um, uh, Gnostics in, in that sense. Financially, your treasure. Missionally, um, the talent that God has given you. So you can think about these kind of categories. And again, there's not one way to do this. And then break that down into different um, allocations of time. What will be your daily or regular habits that you're going to do in these categories? What might be something that you would do weekly in these categories, or monthly, or quarterly, or seasonally, and then maybe even annually? Um, so here's one example of a, a guy called Dan Brown, not the author or whatever, but just to give you some ideas, just to give you a little bit of like, hey, what might this look like for me? So for him spiritually, um, things that he's going to do daily is to be quiet and listen, um, right, to, to listen to, to the to the Lord. Um, he's going to spend time praying. He's going to spend time in the word. Again, these aren't, this isn't rocket science. Um, he's going to remind himself that the covenant between him and the Lord that he's made doesn't depend on him. We'll come back to that at the end. Um, weekly, he wants to take a slow walk. He wants to be intentional with that. It could be a prayer walk. He, he, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't phrase it this way, but he says weekly he wants to waste one day a week. Uh, I think there's a better way to describe that. Um, we call that Sabbath. So, um, in, but you get the point, right? He's going to stop being productive. He's going to put down tools um, a day a week. Monthly, unplugging for one day from his phone, TV, culture, music, whatever it may be. Um, he doesn't have anything in there quarterly. Annually, a biannual retreat to solitude. Um, relationally, Daily, growing in grace by lowering expectations of others and himself. Just being mindful of that. Kissing his wife. Engaging his daughter. He wants to communicate more clearly. Cynicism in his life was taking root. He wants to be mindful of that. Um, weekly, apologizing. 
um, accepting love from his wife um, and his friends, wasting time again with Anne is the way he's put it, um, date night, whatever it is, monthly, doing something special for his wife, something with his daughter, asking others quarterly to speak into his life. You know, that things, that, those things aren't just going to happen accidentally. Like that's something you have to be intentional with and, and to um, start to foster these kind of things in your life. Um, physically, going to bed at a certain amount of time, drinking a certain amount of water, walking a certain amount of time, um, being spiritual in his workouts. I'm not sure what that means. A certain limit of alcohol, um, fasting quarterly for a couple days, um, a biannual fast, um, financially not coveting. He wants to want what he already has, being grateful, thinking of ways to save, weekly tithing and giving, um, stick to a certain budget on, on eating out, monthly reviewing his bank statements and his budget. Um, reviewing his investment goals, as you can kind of see, on and on it goes. But just to think in these kind of categories, what might it be for you to develop these kind of daily habits? Um, there's another guy called Rich Villados. He's a pastor in New York. I don't know him personally, but we have some mutual friends. This is how he's broken his out, um, that really colorful one slide there, Phil. Has a circle and four kind of rectangles on it. There you go. So he's thinking about this, the love of God, and he's broken his into four categories of prayer, rest, relationships, and work. Again, it's what actually works for you and how do you think about these sorts of things. So for him in prayer, he's gonna do the daily office, um, which is uh, uh, basically set, set rhythms of prayer. So two to three times um, per day, he's gonna stop and he's gonna pray. Um, so... Uh, one habit might be for you is like prayer before phone or scripture before your phone. I know I, I have a bad habit sometimes of the first thing I do in the morning is grab my phone. Um, now, it's to turn off my alarm or see what time it is, but man, it's there, and then the scrolling starts, and before you know it, you've spent 20 minutes in bed. You haven't even got out of bed yet, and you've checked your feeds and done all of that. Um, so what would regular set times of prayer be? I don't, if you're like me, um, sometimes prayer comes naturally. It's normally when I'm in crisis or need something. But like set rhythms of prayer, sometimes it's really good to pray other people's prayers um, as your own. So pray through the Psalms and pray, those, pray that scripture back to the Lord, making it your own and personalize that. I use a book called The Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers that are rich theological prayers, stuff that I just wouldn't think of on my own, but I can take those and adapt those and actually mean those things. He wants to read through a book a week. That's a lot of reading. Some, some of you are like, I don't know if I could read a book a month. Start somewhere. Uh, he's going to read through the Psalms six times this year. Monthly therapy. He goes to counseling. Um, overnight silent retreat every three months. Um, for us as a staff, the pastoral staff here, we've taken one day out of the month. Um, first um, one of the first days of the week, we, need, we might need to change it this year, um, where we're just going to spend that eight-hour working day in solitude and prayer um, and praying through those sorts of uh, things to lead our church well. In his relationships, a date night with his wife, um, once a week they're going to sit down and do a, CR, a CTR, get their planning and schedule on, 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 on stuff. He wants to intentionally engage his daughter once a month. He's going to gather with three other pastors once a month. His rest, a weekly Sabbath, um, playing basketball a couple times a month, a day alone with God twice a month, abstain from social media five to seven days a month. With his work, he has certain goals that he wants to do there. So it's being intentional with these sorts of things. How, in, how am I engaging 
my spiritual formation? What are the habits that I'm going to put in place in my life that bring me into abiding with God? Now, again, it's, it's, it, he does the work, but it's like, it's like sailing, right? You can have the sailboat, you can have the sail, you can have everything ready, but if the wind doesn't blow, you just... So God is spirit. He's wind. But also, the reverse is true. You just sit there and don't put the sail up. The wind can blow all it wants to, and we're not harnessing that. And so we have our part that we do within that. So I want us to think about these kind of frameworks. What does this look like as we start to think about our, our values as a church? How can I translate those into practices in my life? Now, some of those we've given you already. Missional communities and core groups, um, gathering together here, serving on different teams. These are habits and rhythms in our life um, that actually form us spiritually um, for our good and the good of other people. Um, but what other practices might we need to put in place? Um, it might be... Um, uh, uh, the, praying the prayer of examine, which is a certain kind of prayer, asking God for light, um, giving thanks, reviewing the day. Um, at the end of the day, going back through, praying through my day, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal things to me um, from my day. Are there things that I need to confess there? Are there things that I need to ask forgiveness of? Um, and then um, confessing those sins, looking forward to the day to come and going to bed and the rest of knowing that Jesus um, is in control. Um, it might be putting margin in my schedule um, to be able to pray. So um, my friend Matt does this. So he runs a bigger church and is probably way busier than I am as far as meetings goes. But he intentionally puts 10 minutes between meetings so that he, he's not just going from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. He'll take that 10 minutes in between meeting um, to just pray through the next meeting coming up, asking the Lord to give him wisdom, asking him to, um, to prepare for that. And it keeps him spiritually right um, throughout his day. So he's not just headlong throughout the whole day without any kind of conscious presence of the Lord in the midst of any of those things. What does play and recreation actually look like in your life? Those things are really important. Um, play and recreation isn't just like wasting time, like intentionally resting and recreating. What are the things that give you life, that rejuvenate you? Um, Sabbath. And I don't mean in a legalistic kind of way where you can't watch TV on a Sunday. I mean, do you have a day a week where you stop working and producing and being productive and rest in the knowledge that Jesus is Lord and you don't have to continue all your work? We rest. God rests in his finished work. We rest in his finished work. And then spend that day. What are, what are the habits even within that day? So Sue and I are trying our best to, to do this. Um, we fail at it sometimes, but we're trying to do sundown Friday to sundown Saturday because um, Sunday for me isn't a day of rest. Um, it's, a, it's a work day. So what does that look like for us from Friday night dinner together to Sunday, Saturday night dinner together? Um, are there other habits that we will not do during that time or that we will do during that time? Um, all of these sorts of things. Maybe limiting your screen time to a certain amount of hours. Um, again, maybe scripture before screen. It's living intentionally. That's all that it is. It's living an intentional life. We've said over and over again, the Christian life is an examined life. It's an intentional life. We use this phrase, living with gospel intentionality. Um, and habits are easy to be formed, but they're also really easy to kind of be broken as well. Um, and so I think having some of this framework, and there's lots of different tools out there, if you just Google rule of life, there's 
tons of different websites and, and um, resources to be able to guide, guide you into some of these things. And I would just say this. You don't have to look at that like grid and be like, I have to have every one of those boxes filled by the time I come to church next Sunday. Like, just start somewhere. If you're like me, I'm, a, I'm an amazing starter. Man, I'll start anything. It's the finishing that's the, the trade. Like, I just lose interest after a little while, right? So I can start in the gym like anybody. It's the finishing in the gym part. Um, but, but start somewhere, and don't be overwhelmed. Don't think you have to have all of this worked out. And let me say this, it'll change, right? If you're single, your rule of life will look different than when you're married. It'll look different when you have little kids than when your kids are maybe a little bit older. Um, and so these things change and adapt and they flex. Um, what are the habits that you need to have for your spiritual formation in the, in the season of life that you're in right now um, within that? Um, and so start building, uh, I want us as a church to start building these rules of life. Discuss this in your core groups. Discuss this in your missional community. Discuss it with your family. Um, most of us in the Bible, um, most of us, when we look to our heroes of the Bible, most of us aren't, aren't like Paul, right? I mean, you look at Paul, like nobody ever said anything bad about Paul. No one has to come in and correct Paul. Now, Paul knows he's a sinner. Like, the only person that says anything bad about Paul is Paul. Like, I'm a chief sinner. Like, he, he understands that. We get that, right? But when I look at the Bible, I'm like, most of us are probably like Peter, right? We get it right sometimes in our, in our, in our, um, in our good intentions. We foul stuff up. Um, Jesus calls him Satan. <laughs> like, it's... You know, he messes stuff up pretty bad. Paul has to come in. Even once he's an apostle, Paul has to come in and be like, bro, you've kind of wandered from the gospel here. You need to get your life back on track. And like, so, man, I just identify with that. Because it's not, you know, with Paul, it's failings and successes, failings and successes. And yet Jesus continued to pursue him. Right? Instituting the Lord's Supper. And Paul says, even if I have to die, Jesus... I'll never fail you. And Jesus is like, bro, before your alarm clock goes off, you'll fail me three times. And so this is, this is our life, right? It's a step forward. It's a step back. But over the long period of time, we continue to behold. We put these practices in our place. And you look back in your life and you go, my life's different than it was five years ago. I'm not perfect. Paul even says that. When you have to say you're not perfect... Like, Paul goes, hey, just so you know, I haven't attained all this yet. Paul, Peter never has to say that. Everyone knows, yeah, we know Peter. We got it. Noah, Moses, David, Samson, these great, like, heroes of the faith, all failing along the way. And yet God continues to use them, continues to pursue them, continues to invite them into the covenant promise. And so we do what we do in the midst of all of this. We remember our creator. We enjoy the day that he has given us. We live in the present, not just under the sun, but connected back to God. But we do that with real intentionality. So as we move through the next few weeks, um, the next few months, as we look at our values as a church, I don't want them just to be ethereal values. I want them to go, okay, what does that look like for me in my real life, though? 
me as a person embodied within this local community. As we move into the Sermon on the Mount, some of Jesus' most important teachings of life, like how to live a life. What does the life of Jesus actually look like lived out? I want us to think about this kind of framework because I don't want us feeling like I'm just failing at this constantly. I gotta try harder at this. I gotta be better at this. Well, yeah, we do. But we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do that by just these regular habits and rhythms that we form. And in those moments, we encounter Jesus in powerful ways. And in those moments, he changes us from one degree of glory to the next. And so let's remember the good news. Let's remember the gospel. That God has done all that needs to be accomplished. He's given you all that you need to live a life of godliness. All the hard work's been done. Like he's done it all for us already. We just enter into this good gift of grace that he has given us. And when we fail, when we spend too much time on Netflix and not enough time in the word, there's grace. He forgives. When we just change from one degree to the next, we see his goodness. We taste and we see that he is good. That's why one of the habits that we have every week we come together is the table. We taste and see again. We remember again his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. We proclaim the death of the Lord, the death of the Lord when he said, it is finished. And so it's finished. We now can live in this freedom. We now can live a life of flourishing that leads us into joy by practicing the way of Jesus. Let me pray for us.